1: Welcome to the New Books Network.
0: Greetings. Welcome to the second part of our conversation with Dan Silelis on how to study people with power. Let me shift us and um, ask you about studying up, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> you uh, you've written about this. You exemplify it in your ethnography, and you've also written um, very thoughtfully about it. Um, yeah. and I think you have a special issue with Matthew Archer too, right? On this. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, what is studying up, and and how is it different from business as usual in anthropology?
1: Yeah. So increasingly, I look at anthropology. So anthropology writ large is this sort of naturalistic inductive study of humans. And so you you go wherever humans are doing their thing and you proceed inductively to try and understand how their world works. Um, and to get more specific, though, you have to understand that anthropology has been animated by a bunch of different normative projects, a, a bunch of different senses of why that type of study would be important. Um, mm-hmm. And it there there've been a series of crackups in these normative projects over the course of the history of anthropology you know early ones had to do with evolution and race science um, and in the 60s 70s and 80s there was a big crackup about the fact that a huge amount of anthropological work happened in colonial contexts in a, in a in a kind of unexamined way and out of that grew a bunch of different normative projects or
0: well, let's say an unevenly ex, unexamined unex, yeah yeah, yeah. Some, some yeah. people were fairly reflective on it. Oh, yeah. Oh, really
1: yeah. Right? yeah. Absolutely. And and more precisely, it's like, what is the object of anthropological study? And so it, you, you couldn't say that, oh, we're studying primitive people or we're studying stateless people if they're under colonial domination, because that's also part of the context that would constitute their lives. And so mm-hmm. out of that crack up, one of the directions that anthropology went was studying up. And so the normative project there was to say, okay, anthropology does this kind of naturalistic inductive stuff. It does field work, it hangs out with people, it gets very close descriptions of their lives. Let's turn that inward and try and understand the powers in the anthropologist's own society. And specifically, let's try and understand the people who, due to the nature of states or corporate capitalism, are able to control the conditions of many other people's yeah. lives. And so don't just study the bottom of the pyramid, try and get to the top of the pyramid and understand how the actions that go on there affect other people. So my project, like writ large, all the anthropological work that I do, I feel fits into that kind of normative agenda where you're trying to understand how relatively small groups of people structure the lives of many other people, right. and so that's that's how I understand studying up, and that's increasingly what I've been trying to write about, and try to understand how anthropology changes when that happens, when when that is your normative project, as right. opposed to activist work or you know work that is meant to unearth uh, forms of life that don't get much representation writ large, or recuperative work or whatever, and so right. it, it's a different kind of normative project.
0: And I, I think it's—I mean, because I've also started doing—I mean, I kind of have done both and continue to do both because I study both gold and silver miners and and people yeah. who extract mineral specimens at a quite low level, you know, uh, farther down on the on the kind of uh, economic pyramid. Right? And um, although with lots of expertise, so if I'm saying low level, I don't mean that it's simpler by any means, but it's yeah, less yeah. belliced. And then also, you know, financiers and and fancy mineral collectors who play like a million dollars for a specimen and stuff. And, you know, I mean, there's sort of different. Tell me what you think of this, Dan and and John. There's sort of different views of like what anthropology should be doing, what its normative project is. And one is sort of saying, like, there's so much suffering and there's so much violence and there's so much inequality that if we're not kind of constantly drawing attention to that, then we're really missing the boat and we're failing, right? This is what somebody Mm -hmm. like Nancy Shepard Hughes, for instance, would argue. Um, yeah. And then there is, um, uh, and 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 then there's another perspective, which is one that I tend to be closer to, which is to say, well, if you if you don't sort of engage in an anthropological inquiry of higher, you know, echelons. Then basically, you're letting the way that these higher echelons, who already have a lot of capacity to tell their own story, you're just leaving the field open for the story to be the one that they tell, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, and you are, you know, sort of in a sense taking for granted that their view of the world is the, um, and this is a you know word that we often use in anthropology of is the sort of unmarked one, right? It's the one that sort mm-hmm. of doesn't need description because we always already know what it is and Everything else is to be compared to it, right? It's the sort of yeah, sure. us, whoever you know, and us being understood to be white, Euro-descended, you know, mm-hmm. middle class or above, etc. Um, so um, you know that—that that I think is the uh, to me that's part of the terrain, right? Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I don't know if you have thoughts about that, or or if that.
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, I think I think. I mean, for me, too, there's there's another normative commitment, which is very much in eclipse right now with an anthropology, which is anthropology is a generalizing science. And, like, right. anthropology is something that builds theory, anthropology that, yeah. like there is value to its inquiry, even if it doesn't do the recuperative work of exposing suffering and right. you know the, the politically aggressive work of exposing elites that, yeah. for me at least, is also a big part of what I do and how I think about kind of the anthropological archive and comparative theory building.
0: Yeah. And for me too, I think it's like not only that it's, I mean, to some extent it's in decline, but I also think it's like there but not acknowledged, which
1: is- Yeah, absolutely. Which is yeah. so hard to work with. Yeah, it's so hard to work with. Yeah, and, and that's why so much anthropological work is like just rediscovering itself, rediscovering itself. Yeah. Like it's all it's it's a yeah. constant big bang. But yeah. like I, I think one of the things that goes on with anthropology is that there's this idea that it's supposed to be one normative project, and yeah. um, that's kind of how the politics of the discipline plays out. Um, yeah. and so if you don't fit with what the one normative project is supposed to be all the assumptions about how professional practice work, all the assumption about methods, all the assumption about ethics, all the assumptions about you know what counts as good research and how you get jobs and all that kind of stuff. It like, it, it's very difficult to engage with. Um, right. And uh, I, I, to my mind, it's kind of unhealthy.
0: Although not new, I would say that's, a, no. that's been a problem from the very beginning of the discipline,
1: yeah. I think there's another edge of it too, where it's like, even if you screw up the rapport with like one person or one set of people, Um, For whatever reason, you know, I I don't know, we could imagine all sorts of things. Um, You, you're not going to be spending the next two years with them. And so you, you can try again with someone else.
0: Right, right. You're not going to have one of those stories like you read in ethnographies where like you offend the village
1: person. Yeah. And you spent seven months trying to figure out what your kinship term means. What, and and like, then you finally you, figure it out. Exactly.
0: What did I do in that first week? Like, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh, I sneezed in the ritual hut.
0: So recall this book is the brainchild of John Plotz and Elizabeth Ferry. It's affiliated with public books and is recorded with the help of the Media Lab of Brandeis Library. Our music comes from a song by Eric Chaslow and Barbara Cassidy called Fly Away. Sound editing is by Naomi Cohen and production assistant, including website design and social media is done by Miranda Peary. We appreciate the support of the Mandel Center for the Humanities at Brandeis, University Librarian Matthew Sheehy and Dean Dorothy Hodgson. We always want to hear from you with your comments, criticisms, and suggestions for future episodes, and you can email us directly or contact us via social media and our website. Finally, if you enjoyed today's show, please be sure to write a review or rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You may be interested in checking out past episodes, especially Christine Desands on making money, Peter Brown on wealth and charity in early Christianity. It's kind of another monastery connection and our series on the so-called Brahmin left. And please stay tuned in our next season for episodes produced in partnership with the podcast Novel Dialogue and more. So thank you all for listening and we'll see you next time.